The following program is being brought to you on the Voice America Variety Channel. For more information about our network and to check our additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericavariety.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the following program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. Welcome to Moyer's Environmental Dialogues, Ocean River Shields of Achilles, with your host, Dr. Rob Moyer. Find out what others are doing and what you can do to create a greener and blue planet Earth. Now, here's Dr. Rob Moyer. Welcome. Welcome. Today, we're talking about uh, government funding of ocean programs. The president has called for deep cuts in the nation's ocean programs especially those by the National Oceanic and Atmospheric Administration, NOAA. And so we're here at, we're broadcasting live from Northeastern University, uh, asking passerbys to uh, sign a letter that explains why they care about oceans. What is it about oceans that they like, or what is it that you like, that would be a reason for the government to continue their ocean funding of ocean programs? It might be uh, you like healthy seafood, uh, you like clean beaches, uh, you like to snorkel or scuba dive and, and, and counter fish, or you're a fisherman like to catch flounder. Uh, we had someone a little earlier who was like to catch flounder off of uh, New Jersey. And uh, first he was wondering, oh, I don't like government. And he realized that, oh, I kind of like the, you know, some of the fishing that we've been able to do. And, and all of that is managed by the government working with states, working with uh, in the case of fisheries, there are councils that are half made up of fishing interests and fishermen and half of state and local and federal government people. Uh, so uh, what happens is the president's called for a, a cut, you know, 26% reduction in spending by NOAA's ocean programs uh, to raise about a billion dollars. And that would, uh, that would go to defense, and the Department of Defense would spend that in about 15 hours. So um, we think that there are other ways to raise money for defense, but, well, what we think is that the money should stay in the ocean programs because oceans are a national resource. They're commons. They don't belong to anybody, so we all must work together. And it's best if government helps us manage that because we all pay our taxes and then the government turns around and helps us maintain uh, access and health of, of the commons like the oceans. Um, so here we are in Northeasterns, and um, um, oh, Max Wagner's here, and Owen Worth, and Sessa Manning, they're all waving at me. Max is right here. Max, tell us about uh, where are we at Northeastern? What's that up here? Uh, yeah, so we are out here at Northeastern University in Boston um, in between the library and the student center. Um, we are out here tabling um, with our big poster boards, um, just trying to gain attention from students, um, talking to them about what they like about oceans, um, and really bring attention to this campaign um, to fully fund NOAA. Um, so lots of students out here rushing to and from class, um, trying to get into the student center, trying to get some food. Um, but nonetheless, we are here 
um, we are out there talking to students and getting their opinions on oceans and hearing their stories. And you, you have a, a, a team here at Northeastern. What's the name of your team that's involved with this? Yeah, so I'm a part of the Husky Environmental Action Team. Um, so that's our environmental club here at Northeastern. Um, we do a lot of work um, in activism within the university, um, also outside in the greater community, um, as well as educating students about um, what they can do for the environment, how they can reduce their carbon footprint, um, and really educating them about all sorts of issues, including oceans um, and water quality and issues like the funding of NOAA. Thank you. So it's kind of quiet right now between um, Owen, can, can you tell us some bit about one of the uh, ocean programs that uh, NOAA is talking about cutting are the, um, is, is the, the climate program. Yep, the climate program office. Okay, the climate, climate program office connects three aspects of NOAA. It's observation and research, modeling and science, and informing decision makers. They are, they are developing a global climate observation system from the bottom of the oceans to the top of the atmosphere. The Climate Program Office works to help communities, businesses, and citizens. And they do many things, and I've got a list of some of the things they're working on, uh, to reduce vulnerability to extreme weather, prepare for drought and water resource challenges, manage risks to coastlines and coastal infrastructures, sustainably manage marine ecosystems, and adapt to and mitigate climate impacts such as rising sea level, shifting currents, and weather. And understanding climate change is a very steep learning curve. <laughs> Therefore, the, um, the Climate Program Office must be fully funded if we are to prepare for the challenges ahead. Yeah, that's really cool. They have this office, one of the many programs they have there, which is pulling together um, knowledge and, and through observations of how, how the ocean systems, the coastal systems, the weather systems are shifting and changing and um, and so they're looking at that, and it doesn't matter if it's because of the carbon or whatever it is, it's important to understand and to model forward, like, how fast is sea level rising, and uh, what are the extent of currents that are changing with water temperature changes and stuff. So how important to have that be fully funded and not just slashed for um, a little bit of savings to go for some other program that um, is not as quite as the same, I guess. Yeah, very important. Um, yeah, that's just one of, of the many programs they have there. And, and uh, before we were talking about uh, the National Marine Fisheries Service is part of NOAA, part of these ocean programs that cut back. And it, it's really important that, uh, that that program be fully funded so that we can go all the way to sustainable fish and stuff. You and I have been checking out the different food options for fish around here and stuff. Yeah, oysters. <laughs> we found, yeah, there's a place in Harvard Square that has oysters for 50 cents. Yeah. <laughs> uh, Duxbury oysters, so that's pretty good. Uh, and, and Max, you were looking into another ocean program. That um, What's the name of that program? Yeah, so I've been looking into the ocean acidification program. Um, so what they're doing is really doing a lot of research um, into how we can stop ocean acidification. Um, so it's a problem that a lot of people aren't even aware of, um, but ocean acidification um, is actually when the carbon dioxide that's put into the air is then absorbed by the seawater, um, and a whole bunch of chemical reactions occur, and what ends up happening is the pH of the water is actually reduced and becomes more acidified, um, which has a huge, huge effect um, on humans trying to, you know, engage in recreation in the water, 
um, as well as the fishermen, um, especially those who are um, getting oysters. Um, so it's been a huge, huge problem, especially in the Northwest um, and on the East Coast um, with the big, big fishing economies. Um, and they're really, really struggling to get by um, when you have these huge issues with ocean acidification. Right. So, uh, for example, I, I understand that you're saying that oysters are having a tough go at it. Yeah. Um, so we actually heard a story. Um, this was out of, um, out of Oregon. And they were interviewing someone um, who owned an oyster farm. Um, this farm has been around for years and years, um, really providing top quality oysters um, in beautiful, beautiful waters out there on the West Coast. Um, and what they've been seeing is um, huge, huge problems with getting these oyster seeds. Um, so it's almost impossible to even get the seeds anymore. Um, you know, their vendors and farms are telling them that they just don't have the oyster seeds there. Um, so they're really, really struggling to get by and, um, and to continue their work. Um, and so you're going to see at the restaurant prices going up for oysters is it's more difficult to get. Um, fishermen really struggling to grow those um, on both the east and west coasts. Oh, dear, that would not be good. Yeah, exactly. So some places are being hit harder than others. Mm -hmm. Why is that? Um, so it's really just all about um, just how the, uh, the ocean works. Um, so it's, some areas are really, really effective, especially areas um, where there's a lot of sea life, um, like oysters, who are very vulnerable to it. Um, so the oyster shells, um, especially when they're very young, are very weak um, and can't really uh, hold up to certain extreme conditions. Um, so once you have the acidity of the water changing, um, it completely changes the way they grow. Um, and so these oysters just can't survive. Um, their shells can't grow, um, which is proving to be a huge problem there. Yeah. Um, yeah, all right, if you're an oyster with yeah. no shell, it's, yeah. a, it's exactly. a short life. Yeah, so these oysters, um, when they're young, they just can't develop. Um, and these seeds can't grow, um, as they call them, seeds. Because the shells are calcium, and the calcium just fizzles. And, yeah. And, uh, and they, it fizzles away, and, and uh, to, it doesn't take much when they're small organisms. Yeah, exactly. Um, and I don't want to bore you with statistics, um, but they've said that um, in the Northwest, it's actually plummeted 80% the production of these oysters. 80%? Yes. That so, is a significant number, yes. Yeah, and that's not a whole bunch of yeah, yeah that's, that's just in between 2005 and 2009. Oh, my gosh, in four years. Yeah. 80%, what did you say? Yep, so it's an 80%. 80% decrease in oysters. Yeah. And that's got to be something dramatic like increasing acidity in the waters because that's not just some predator coming in and chowing down. That's, yeah. yeah. And so really what the acidification uh, program has been doing is really just trying to do research to figure out what the solution for this is. Um, so they've already come up with a number of different things that they can do um, to help stop this from getting worse. Um, but conditions are only becoming more and more dire. Um, and so all these, these fisheries really just rely on NOAA um, to be providing this work, to be out there doing the research um, so that in the future um, this doesn't have to continue being a problem. Um, so again, they really rely on this. Um, and that's another reason why it's so important that we continue to fund these programs um, because they're really the only ones out there doing this work. Yeah, there's not a whole lot of research centers or organizations out there trying to solve this problem, um, so they really rely on NOAA. Yeah, and there are, you know, exactly. Uh, I was talking earlier with uh, Owen and how we like to go get Duxbury oysters from um, uh, the Red House over in Harvard Square, and the Duxbury oysters, the man who grows those oysters, is working with NOAA. NOAA is funding a program in Haiti to uh, 
clean up the waters of Haiti. And John Weimer is the NOAA employee down there. He's a Haitian. And um, the uh, Duxbury oyster guy Thank is you. going down with his oyster bags and showing them how to put out oyster bags in, in you know, the Caribbean of Haiti to, um, to, to grow oysters. So, you know, NOAA, being a federal agency, has much more resources uh, or can really target certain areas. And then the states pick up. So in here in Massachusetts, uh, the clams are um, harvested locally, and we have town clam wardens. But the, uh, if they're high in bacteria, you can bring, they bring the clams to a federal or state purification plant over in uh, Plum uh, Island so that the oysters can be cleaned up, or the clams in this case can be cleaned up. So NOAA, this funding is so important because these ocean programs are federal programs in concert with state and in concert with local groups and, and users and so forth, So and the clamors or the oystermen in this case. Uh, so it's really when the government invests a little bit of money in a NOAA program, it's amplified by being met and matched by state, federal, uh, state, local. Yeah, and it's also important to note that the shellfish industry in a lot of these areas is hundreds and hundreds of millions of dollars. Um, so this is a huge, huge economic effect as well. Because mm. when these farms, like that Chelsea farm I was speaking of earlier, when they can't get oyster seeds, they can't have a living. This is what they do. They've been doing it for 20, 30 years, is harvesting these oysters um, on the coast of Washington there. Um, so when you have a problem like ocean acidification that's completely almost shutting down their business, um, that's a huge loss for the community, um, for these businesses. Um, and it's something that the government needs to be taking into consideration when funding these programs. Yeah, is there more there? That, uh, yeah, so um, just speaking more about um, the Chelsea farm in specific, um, so what they're now doing um, is they've actually been able to work with NOAA already um, in trying to get some of these um, early detectors going um, to track the ocean acidification um, as well as to try to curb the effects um, so that they can continue growing. Um, so they are trying to adapt, um, but they really rely on NOAA um, to help them come up with these adaption solutions um, so that they can work and continue to uh, fish sustainably out there in Washington. Yeah, it's so important. That one of the advantages of NOAA is that they network everywhere. So when the local growers work out something that works in their area, they can then, uh, NOAA can transfer that information to other growers being networking. So it's great to... The outreach and education programs they do is really important as well. Mm -hmm. uh, where are we with you? Got more? Yeah. So, um, speak more about the uh, current adaptations they're working on. Yes. Um, so they're really trying to right now add sodium carbonate um, to the water. Um, that's so that they can try to balance out that pH. Um, so they're trying to bring the pH back up um, so that these oysters um, can grow their grow their shells um, and the marine life would be less affected. Um, so they have this eelgrass that they've been putting into the water um, off the coast of places like Washington um, and off the east coast as well. Um, this is in hopes that this will um, attempt to balance the pH. Um, it's obviously not a long-term term solution. Yeah, but eelgrass gets it's fabulous. It gets it taken. Yeah. 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 No, it is a long because it does change the, the chemistry of the water to have these things in it. Absolutely. Yeah. Um, so the work that they do is super important. Um, this is just one solution that they've come up with. Um, and it's one that's helping a lot of communities out um, and helping them continue uh, their fishing practices. Do, do we get these? Or? Yeah. Yeah. 
Um, yeah, so I, I see you've got some notes here on the coral reef conservation work. So yeah, um, this guy's great. He's got it all scripted out here. So like, go ahead. Yeah. So um, in addition to how it affects oysters um, and all these shellfish, um, ocean acidification also has a huge effect on coral reefs. Mm. Um, so this is a little bit more publicized, um, especially when we see news stories about how the Great Barrier Reef is under attack, how it's disappearing quickly. Um, so that's one thing that ocean acidification has really, really been affecting. Um, so that's something NOAA is also working on. Um, so they've had ships out um, going to these reefs, um, analyzing um, how these reefs are responding to the acidification, um, and really trying to prevent these problems from getting worse. Um, so one thing that I've been looking into um, is a research project that was done by Tom Oliver and Derek Mandello. Um, so they're off of the uh, NOAA Coral Reef Conservation Program. And so they've been going out to places like Hawaii um, or off the shores of the Caribbean um, and really um, taking a look at these reefs, um, making observations, um, and trying to compare those observations um, with the biochemical processes that they um, know are occurring. Um, in addition, they're um, really trying to project models of how these reefs are going to be impacted um, so that, that way they can better prepare and protect these reefs um, from being further damaged. Fascinating, because, yeah, you just kind of get out there and, and check out the real ones. Mm -hmm. And then uh, understanding the chemistry on the side, um, pull it all together. Yeah, so these trips are very, very important. Um, they're all, again, funded by NOAA. Um, and so they're out there doing the hard research, gathering this data, um, so that that way we can have benchmarks for what ocean acidification looks like. Um, because really, if we didn't have NOAA out there doing this, who else is out there? No, the NOAA provides the ships that become a platform for all kinds of scientists to get out there. It's not like, um, you know, rocket science where you hang out in the lab, you know. You, it's expensive to get out sea time. And, and uh, so it's, it's only possible because of federal support. And uh, they really are penny-wise and, and pound-smart in terms of uh, how they leverage funds because... You know, they provide the ship, and then universities can provide the scientists. Yeah, we talked a lot about the Sea Grant last week. Um, that's just another important piece of the puzzle here is how they fund universities to then continue doing this research outside of NOAA. Yeah. Um, so they're not just doing it themselves. They're helping out the community, giving out money um, so that everyone can be doing this research so that we can have this data um, and learn more about these issues and how to solve them. Yes, exactly right. So Steve Oster is a scientist with, in Connecticut. And uh, he has become the expert on these deep sea seamounts that are off of, off of New England. And, and uh, he, um, but he's only able to get out there because NOAA can provide transport to go, you know, 160 miles offshore. It's off the continental shelf and over the abyssal 10,000 feet deep waters to these mounts that are coming up uh, from the deep and still summit uh, over 1,000 feet deep. So... These are very rare habitats and places that are only possible to get to because of NOAA funding. That's right. Uh, so, Owen, how's it going out there? It's very quiet. We have people walking, you know, pretty much just a few people going between classes and stuff. And Owen and Sesha are standing out here with clipboards. Hi, Sesha. How are you? I'm good. Thank you. Thank you for coming all the way in. And... So um, you drove in from Maynard, mm -hmm. and uh, it was great that you came into the office. 
because we were able to then go and get some copies made of these individual letters that people are writing. Yes. And um, then you helped me slip everything into <laughs> Northeastern. Mm-hmm. And uh, here we are. Yeah, it's been going great so far. Yeah. Yeah, it's just, it's just kind of quiet right now. But, uh, We've got a couple. It's going. It's going. Oh, that's great. <laughs> yeah. So um, what are some, here's some of the ones we've gotten. So um, uh, which one did you help gather? Um, I like this one. I had um, yeah. six families together during vacation, which was really nice. Oh, yeah. Bring families together during vacation. Yeah. Ocean experience. Mm-hmm. Uh, oh, and what's that one? This one says, the ocean is where I feel most at home. Its beauty, power, and life fills me with an overwhelming calm. Please don't let its beauty die. Wonderful. And here's one up here that says, the ocean is one of the last peaceful places we have, we have, so when I go scuba diving, I feel at peace seeing the ecosystem and the fish. I hope it remains for the next generation. Can you read us one, Tasha? Yeah, another one I got was, um, I live at the coast and don't want it to be dirty. It is the base of life on Earth, and it should be preserved, preserved diversity, not only on our land. Yeah. Uh, Owen? Okay. But, uh, the, the scientific consensus is clear. Clean oceans are essential to the health and economic stability of our community. This is great. So people have stopped by. This is right here. This is just written down. And we have these uh, pieces of paper with lines drawn on them. And people are handwriting these messages, uh, these, these words. Um, yeah. And to inspire them, we brought um, some ones that we gathered from elsewhere. And... Uh, was pretty much online, I guess, and we printed them on paper, and then we've cut the paper in the shape of fish. So we have all these different fish shapes now with these words on them. Um, like here's a one that says, "I live in Toledo, where the algal bloom ruined our drinking water. I think keep thinking our drinking water is safe, and it's one of the most important reasons in need to keep the funding solid for the Great Lakes." Um, Alice Peterson wrote that from. Uh, Toledo, and so these ocean programs we're talking about, this NOAA funding of ocean programs, includes the Great Lakes, and it includes uh, Lake Champlain. Uh, I think of that as our north coast, and uh, so it, it also helps with some of the waterways that go down to the sea and the coast. So we're going to take a short break and be right back after this break. Streaming live, the leader in Internet talk radio, voiceamerica.com. On a Cape Cod shore, 16 striped bass fish and a horseshoe crab were found dead, killed by a harmful algal bloom. The town blamed excessive lawn fertilizer for polluting the water. They restricted lawn fertilizing to once a year. The state overruled, mandating five times a year. Though the striped bass died on a Falmouth shore, fertilizer pollution is a national problem, clogging our waterways. If you believe in our rights to clean water and beaches, if you want to stop the killing of fish by excessive fertilizer, please join with us. Make a donation for responsible stewardship. Acting together, we can have clean beaches and more fish. Please visit www.donateforocean.com. That is www.donate4oceans.org. 
Connecting local stewardship with global support, the Ocean River Institute is a nonprofit organization dedicated to helping people and groups make a difference where they live and work. We believe that many environmental issues can best be addressed by people taking action in their own communities and regions. It's not the large national entities, but the small, localized, or newly formed groups that often need help to achieve their goals. That's where the Ocean River Institute comes in. We maintain a network of eco-stewards and ORI partners, connecting them with resources and services to help them maximize their impact, expand their capacity, and weather unexpected setbacks. ORI actions and events offer opportunities to make a difference, to go the distance, and you can volunteer to be an ORI eco-steward. To discover more, visit us online at www.oceanriver.org. That's www.oceanriver.org. The Ocean River Institute is a 501c3 nonprofit organization dedicated to helping people and groups make a difference where they live and work through environmental stewardship and science. Become our friend on Facebook. Post your thoughts about our shows and network on our timeline. Visit Facebook.com forward slash Voice America. listening to Moyer's Environmental Dialogues. To participate in today's discussion, you're welcome to call into the program at 1-866-472-5788. Again, that's 1-866-472-5788. You can also send an email to rob at oceanriver.org. Now, back to Dr. Rob Moyer. Hi, we are broadcasting live from Northeastern University. We have our um, poster board up. We got a table set up. It's a beautiful day. It's a blue sky, and it's about high 50s. And we're standing between the Council for University Programs, which is promoting events that are happening here, and the uh, students for um, the Turkish Graduate Student Association has um, been feeding me uh, uh, Turkish delight, right? Say hello. Hello from Turkey. <laughs> <laughs> and, um, and in between is the Ocean River Institute, and we've got this big fine board up saying, give us clean water, healthy wildlife, good seafood, and happy recreations by fully funding the National Oceanic Atmospheric Administration, NOAA. And so we're asking people to tell the Congress members who are serving on the Committee on Appropriations why is it important to uh, fully fund our ocean programs. You know, why do you not want cuts, you know, spending cuts for ocean exploration? Why do you want to keep the sea grant programs and not eliminate them? Why do we want to keep having suspend, uh, and the wind's coming up and so all people are doing it. Um, and uh, yeah, so we don't want to cut spending on sustainable fisheries. Uh, so we're asking people to act now to to speak up to Congress. And if you would like to join us in this effort, please go to our webpage, www.oceanriver.org. You'll see six actions, and you can click on the, uh, you know, fully fund NOAA uh, site, uh, Ocean Sea Grant Program, Ocean Program. Um, or you can go to uh, bit.ly, B-I-T dot L-Y slash, fund 
oceans. And we have a number of programs, giving programs there, where people are just giving five bucks, and it's making a big difference for saving uh, the cutting of a billion dollars out of our ocean programs. So never before have people had an opportunity to give such a modest gift and yet make such a huge difference to something as magnificent as oceans and beaches and our coastal waters. Uh, and we're at Northeastern because uh, Max Wagner is a student here. And so his, uh, he's a member of uh, HEAT, and um, oh, it's the Husky Environmental Action Team. I was wondering what the H was. I thought it was health and environment. <laughs> no, it's, it's the Northeastern Huskies. Oh, yes. <laughs> so um, this is an environmental action group, not just an animal weapon group, and, uh, or more than that. And so, so Max, tell us about uh, uh, the group. And um, I hear that, you know, each year you guys choose what are going to be your main issues. And so what happened this year? Uh, yeah, so one thing that our group, Heat, uh, really tries to do is try to make a difference at the local level. Um, so changing um, rules, making a change um, within our university, um, doing things right here on campus. Stimulating talk it gets those synapses in the brain firing really fast. All the time. The number one internet talk station where your opinion counts. VoiceAmerica.com. Connecting local stewardship with global support, the Ocean River Institute is a nonprofit organization dedicated to helping people and groups make a difference where they live and work. We believe that many environmental issues can best be addressed by people taking action in their own communities and regions. It's not the large national entities, but the small, localized, or newly formed groups that often need help to achieve their goals. That's where the Ocean River Institute comes in. We maintain a network of eco-stewards and ORI partners, connecting them with resources and services to help them maximize their impact, expand their capacity, and weather unexpected setbacks. ORI actions and events offer opportunities to make a difference, to go the distance, and you can volunteer to be an ORI eco-steward. To discover more, visit us online at www.oceanriver.org. That's www.oceanriver.org. The Ocean River Institute is a 501c3 nonprofit organization dedicated to helping people and groups make a difference where they live and work through environmental stewardship and science. On a Cape Cod shore, 16 striped bass fish and a horseshoe crab were found dead, killed by a harmful algal bloom. The town blamed excessive lawn fertilizer for polluting the water. They restricted lawn fertilizing to once a year. The state overruled, mandating five times a year. Though the striped bass died on a Falmouth shore, fertilizer pollution is a national problem, clogging our waterways. If you believe in our rights to clean water and beaches, if you want to stop the killing of fish by excessive fertilizer, please join with us. Make a donation for responsible stewardship. Acting together, we can have clean beaches and more fish. Please visit www.donateforoceans.org. That is www.donate4oceans.org. Think you've seen everything there is to see in online television? Let us surprise you. Visit voiceamerica.tv today for sports, health, business, and more on demand 24-7.
are listening to Moyer's Environmental Dialogues. To participate in today's discussion, you're welcome to call into the program at 1-866-472-5788. Again, that's 1-866-472-5788. You can also send an email to rob at oceanriver.org. Now, back to Dr. Rob Moyer. Hi, we're back, and we're talking about saving the ocean uh, with better funding, and I was just talking with Max Wagner, who's uh, hosting us here at Northeastern. He's with the Huskies uh, Environmental Action Team, and uh, i gotta, I got to pull Max back on the phone here. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> well, it, was, it was good timing because this woman stopped by who is um, taking our website, and it's going, which is oceanriver.org, and um, have our friends go to our webpage on Save the Ocean, on uh, Fund the NOAA Ocean Programs, and uh, get some more people to, to write letters online because it's an easy way to do it. Now, Max, you were telling me about how that the the Heat, the Husky Environmental Action Team, has um, put forward two referendums, and one was on plastic bottles, and one was on um, energy, better energy use. And they unanimously were pa- or they were passed overwhelmingly, and um, so I understand you know stopping the plastic bottles, but how might Northeastern uh, con- save energy? The other one, how does that? What are some of the details on that one? Uh, yeah, so we've actually come up with a lot of plans um, on how we can improve our renewable energy program here. Um, so we only have um, one set of solar panels here on campus. Um, you know, we have 300 acres here, um, lots of buildings, around 18,000 students. Um, but we're really, really lacking in our renewable energy. Um, so we've come up with a plan um, for how they can make that uh, different, how they can improve, um, and where we can actually um, put some renewable energy installations. Um, so we've actually teamed up with the um, Northeastern Environmental Law Society. Um, that's who just came and talked to us here about um, tabling tomorrow at their event. Um, <laughs> yeah, so she, um, she and her team actually work with us on this project. Um, so they did a whole um, bunch of uh, feasibility studies, um, really looking at all our different buildings, what energy laws look like, um, and trying to figure out where we could um, best do this project at, what buildings are most suitable, um, and how we can get this all done. Um, so we've actually come up um, with a plan to change the university's master plan um, to include a, uh, a little line about how every building should be considered for renewable energy. And so anytime they're constructing a building, um, they need to analyze how feasible it is uh, for them to put a wind installation or for them to put solar panels um, or some sort of HVAC system that's sustainable. Um, so really was trying to ensure that we're always considering the environment in every decision that's made and always considering how we could, um, you know, put renewable energy wherever it can be on campus. Opportunities. You've got solar panels. You've got wind. You've got more efficient HVAC systems. Yeah, so I, yeah, and um, a lot of students we've been talking to, um, they really see that solar panels are the best option. They think wind is you know, super, um, too big, too, couldn't be done on our campus, couldn't be done in the middle of the city of Boston. Um, but we've actually been working with another organization um, that's come up with a plan for putting wind turbines on the top of one of our uh, residence halls. Um, so really, it can be done in Boston here, um, even though we are in the middle of the city. Um, renewable energy definitely is still a possibility, um, and we're really excited to get that all done, um, especially when we need it so badly here on campus. Because uh, those of us in Pond Sailing in the Charles River, we find that 
when you get off of Berkeley Street, there's a blast of air that can tip the boats over. We call it the Berkeley Street Blast. And those buildings, you know, they funnel the air and they create these wind tunnels that, you know, if you could just put a windmill, you know, into that, uh, near those tunnels and stuff, that's fabulous. Yeah, we've got that same problem here on campus. Um, we're right by Ruggles Station, um, which is just a big air tube, pretty much. Orange line. Yeah, right on the orange line here in Boston. And so you just have these huge, huge wind gusts that are almost every day out there knocking people over almost. Um, so, you know, that could be alternative energy. That could be powering the lights in our residence halls and um, powering our classrooms, too. Um, so we're really excited to hopefully get this all done um, and really improve our uh, carbon footprint here on campus. What were you doing last year? You had two projects then, too. Yeah, so we're always trying to work on different projects like this. Um, so last year we did a similar thing with um, having two questions put on the direct election ballot. Um, so one of those questions was concerning um, actually adding a tax on the plastic bags. Um, and the other question was concerning improving our recycling program. Um, so trying to make sure that on campus there is a recycling bin for every trash can on campus. Um, so we've been actually working on implementing both of these policies now um, because they both did pass through the student body. Um, some majority of students did vote for those policies as well. Um, so we've been working with the administration, um, working with dining um, to try to get this all implemented um, and try to make these ideas actually happen. How's that going? Yeah, so it's going really, really well um, on both questions. Um, so just last week I actually met um, with our head of dining um, to go over our final plan for implementation for the plastic bag tax. Um, so we came up with a proposal um, that would actually totally ban plastic bags um, at two or three of our campus locations um, and then add a five-cent surcharge um, to anyone who wants a plastic bag um, in all of our other dining locations on campus. Um, so that means it'd be much more difficult to get a plastic bag on campus. Um, we're really trying to push students into purchasing these reusable bags um, so that they have continuously wasting all this plastic um, to carry their books and to carry their food um, from all our on-campus vendors. Congratulations. Good progress. Are there other programs that HEAT is working on? Yeah, so another huge one is um, obviously recycling. Um, it comes up over and over again when we talk to students, we talk to faculty, um, that they really see that our recycling program um, is good, but it's not as great as it could be. Um, so we're really working to improve signage, um, to change our system so that it's more accessible for students. Um, oftentimes, students really don't even know um, whether or not items can be recycled. That's very confusing when you have, um, you know, some bins that take only bottles, some that take cans, you know, some that take only paper. Um, so students are really confused by these guidelines, and so we want to make this a much simpler, much more efficient pro uh, process that students can understand um, so that that way they are making the right decision for the environment um, and the easiest decision for them. Um, so working with them um, on developing new signage um, so that it's easier, developing a system that's um, uniform across campus um, has been huge for us and something that we're working with the facilities department on right now um, so we're looking for a total overhaul of our entire recycling system um, within the next two years. Um, so it's a lot to work on, um, but it's really, really important work, and we're very happy to do it um, and looking forward to these changes. That big university. Yeah, we certainly try to stay busy, um, always trying to think of new projects um, and talk to students about what they want to see happen, um, what really bothers them on campus. Is it recycling? Is it, um, you know, seeing all these uh, 
these wasted pieces of paper in the trash, um, whatever it is, just trying to uh, make sure that we can be doing the best we can for our community and for our earth, um, really reducing our carbon footprint in any way we can. Um, so we try to stay present on campus um, and continue to do initiatives like this, um, as well as do educational events um, so that that way they can stay educated um, on climate change, um, on all sorts of different issues uh, like the funding of NOAA. Going in. No, it's really great the way that the Husky Environmental Action Team has been supporting this effort to get the word out. And, um, you know, you've got your own fundraising page on Classy, which is really cool. Um, and so other groups that we hope will, will be pitching up on that. I'm not the group already has, I guess. But, um, so yes, please visit us at oceanriver.org. Uh, ocean.org. And uh, that's our website, and then you can click on the Save uh, Ocean programs and uh, get connected to Max and Owen and Sesha. And that's uh, my right now. People want to see. I see. Um, oh, once you get another um, letter, you want this person right? From Cleveland to MC Road. Oh, hey. Protect our oceans from dangerous toxins and algae. Yeah. So we were talking about Cleveland. So. Uh, Cleveland to the, because we're asking people to put it down on location. That's great. Yeah, if you want to know about the artificial reef program that Owen's talking about, you have to tune into last week's program uh, where we talked some length about that um, in the afternoon at 3.45. So uh, this is a quiet period, but it was also the right time to do our radio show. And uh, we're going to stay after 5 o'clock. I think we'll see some more people coming through here and stuff. Um, yeah, go ahead. <laughs> yeah, we're really excited to be here. I'm having a lot of great conversations with students, um, just seeing what their opinions are, um, even um, trying to sway the opinions of some students. Um, Rob, I know I saw you earlier talking to a student um, talking about how we didn't want big governments um, impacting the oceans. you want to talk a little bit about that? <laughs> we do want big government. <laughs> well, the guy who said he wants big government. Right. And so um, I explained that, uh, well, you know, we do want to have clean beaches and you do want to have, um, you know, smaller, pro you know, that we want to have healthy seafood and that's not just big government. It's really, um, and it's the partnerships, as we were saying earlier, of state working with, with uh, of federals working with state, working with local and I think yeah, I think a lot of people, um, when they hear about NOAA, um, they don't really think that it affects their life too much. People don't see NOAA on a day-to-day -day basis. Um, it's not something um, that really they think impacts them. Uh, but we're really here to tell, we're really here to tell students um, that NOAA does impact them. Um, whether or not they see it every day, um, it impacts them um, in the food that they eat, um, when they go to the beach, um, when they check the weather forecast in the morning to see whether or not it's going to rain, um, that's all something that NOAA has to do with. Um, so even though it might not be visible, um, it might not be something that they think about all the time, um, NOAA's still there, and they're necessary. So I think it's really important that we um, are out here trying to talk to students, trying to explain them why NOAA is important, and hear their stories, um, hear what, how the ocean has affected them, and why they care about it, um, so that they, they can be more informed about how really their tax dollars are being spent um, and how um, NOAA is affecting all that. We're unique in asking people to tell us their story. 
And so we forget that because that's all we do. We've been working on it. We've got these two poster boards with 77 stories that we cut out into fish shapes. One was so big we turned it into a jellyfish because it was just too much text to put into a fish. But um, no one out, no other organization goes out and gets individual personal stories and uh, make sure they sound good and put it together in presentable format. Uh, we've got one from every state, and now we're trying to get every, you know, congressional district. And so we're happy to be here at Northeastern because you've got people from all over, from places to, to um, all over the place. But um, everyone is used to just stopping by and signing a petition. And so they think that we're trying to get them to sign a petition and give them money and get our mail list. And no. We're not asking for a complete, um, well, we are asking for email addresses, but we're not, often don't get them. People just sign, and we're not asking for, for mail addresses. Um, because what we want is people to take a moment to put in their own hand reading why they care about it. And are so being told that they have a petition signed by umpteen billion people. If they'd rather have a letter from one person than the same letter from 150 and they feel about something. But if they get 60 different letters or 60 different comments that are extremely unexpected, that is really um, meaningful to the politicians and to this, uh, these congressmen who are on the Committee of Appropriations. Uh, and they speak in ways that we also relate to. We have a couple of talking about flounder, but you didn't flounder, or somebody talking about scuba diving. Um, what are some of the things you've heard today? Yeah, there's a lot of people talking about how much they love the beach, um, whether it's just walking down the beach or, you know, going snorkeling, um, looking at fish, um, all sorts of different recreation and relaxation that people do around water. Um, and all these things are impacted by NOAA. Um, and so I think people don't really see how it affects them. Um, but it really does. And once you start talking to people, I mean, you really do see that oceans aren't really a partisan issue. Um, it doesn't matter if you're a Republican or a Democrat. I think we can all get behind um, having our, our clean waters um, and having healthy and happy recreation um, on our lake shores and our ocean shores. Um, so it's such an important issue um, and one that I think we can all rally behind um, funding this program. It's appropriate for the president to say, you know, cut spending, you know, tighten your belts and stuff. And it's, it's really valuable for people to speak up because if they don't speak up, then the decision maker, the congressmen and the senators are going to be swayed to do what the, the loud voices are calling for. And, uh, but if you speak up, then you offer an opportunity for the congressman or senator to serve his constituents because they can relate to that. But they assume that if people don't care, then they're just going to go the up. They're just going to lean into the interest groups that are most vocal and stuff. So this is really wonderful that people are having an opportunity to, you know, remember what's special about the ocean to them. And, and uh, yeah, we've read other ones before. So. Yeah, and I think that students especially um, all really want to speak up. Um, so through the Husky Environmental Action Team, we've seen a huge, huge surge in our attendance at our meetings um, just in the past six months. Um, so students are seeing what's happening with the EPA, seeing what's happening with NOAA, um, seeing how um, the administration is responding to climate change um, and wanting to take action. Um, so it's not a lack of will. Um, people really are interested in this and they want to get involved. 
Um, so I think it's important that we provide this outlet for people to be able to contact their congressional representatives um, because it can be difficult for people to find time out of their day to write to Congress about NOAA. Um, so the fact that we're out here, yeah, we're trying to make it easy um, so that people can take a minute out of their day um, and write a comment that could potentially affect um, the way that our budget works and the way that um, our oceans are funded. Trying to make it really easy uh, because we then we read everything people write when they write online. We make sure they sound good um, so that it's the best put forward. And then we organize it by state and district so that the uh, decision maker can quickly go to his or her constituents but also hear other voices. So it's the whole presentation package. If you brought in a stack of 3,000 letters, we have about 3,000 signatures now. Um, if you brought in a stack of 3,000 letters, people wouldn't look at it. But we, we bind it into just the comments. And so that's uh, a really effective way. So you, you don't have to be here at Northeastern on this day to participate in helping to get NOAA funding. You can just visit our website, oceanriver.org, and um, and click on uh, uh, ocean. You know, don't fund our. <laughs> I have a fun time here, but fully fund our oceans and uh, and, and get involved. And if there's a petition there that you can put out a letter, you can write a paragraph on it, a sentence, and words, and um, we'll send it back to you so you have a record of what you said opportunities to participate in, in many ways. And we really urge you to join with others. It's so exciting to see the number of people who are donating $5 and $10 and $25 uh, because they need that money to, well, we pay back, you know, an internship here and hourly wage. And, and, uh, and these things, you know, gathering and working with writers comments takes time. And it gives the first attention to it. So it's a great value. Uh, for five dollars, you can pay leadership and forever saving oceans because the programs that happened this year have long lasting. Yeah, really, really huge effect. Um, by just you know five minutes or five dollars, um, really you can make a huge impact. Um, and so we're happy to be talking to students about that impact and helping them um, write to Congress um, and have their voice be heard. Thank you, Max. We we're running out of time again, but it's um. Thank you all for uh, this episode. Um, Owen? Okay. Okay. Thank you. Thank you. Thanks for being here. So that's it for Moyer's Environmental Dialogue. Thanks a lot for listening. Take care of yourselves and then try to take some time to take care of the planet. Thanks again for joining us this week on Moyer's Environmental Dialogues. Please tune in for more with Dr. Rob Moyer next Thursday at 12 noon Pacific Time, 3 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Variety Channel. We'll talk again then. Yeah.